welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Uh, Just excited to have another one. And we'll squeeze another episode in here before the end of the year. Um, As I mentioned, trying to get as many podcasts in, episodes in this month with the good interviews that we have lined up. So this will be our last. We'll wrap up 2020. Hopefully (laughs) be able to put this year behind us. Hopefully 2021 doesn't have a kiss of death (laughs) like 2020 had. So, um, Another good, another good interview tonight, and tonight we're talking with Matt Duncan of 3D Farms of Judsonia in Arkansas, and uh, it's exciting to hear his expansion. He's uh, He kind of hit the ground running in 2019 and has grown exponentially from that time, and it looks like 2021, he's hoping to grow even more. So we're going to dive right into his conversation, and then I'll catch you guys near the end. Give me, uh, if you would, give me a, a, a summary of your operation, kind of a 40,000-foot elevation of, of what you've got going on there. 40,000 foot. Yeah, there you go. Well, uh, I guess we started early 2019 is when we started this operation. Uh, I'd been talking about it for two or three years, and finally just uh, I went and bought the pigs and, and built the pen while they were living in the trailer for, for a few days, you know. And uh, <laughs> we started with six pigs on a couple thousand square feet just real small and it's kind of progressed uh we was processing two to three hogs a month and uh eventually we you know we we built up just a little bit and uh i guess probably last fall we started doing a lot of custom shares and stuff passing whole hogs and such and uh, that's when everything really started started getting bigger so we we uh oh we opened up our land we uh started running a lot of high tensile electric fence you know they went from a couple thousand square feet right now they're on about 15 acres uh i think that first year we processed about 25 or 30 hogs and we've done just a little over 100 this year so far oh wow all right now in 2019 when you started up i was looking at some of the information on your farm when you started in 2019 was that just with hogs or that was the entire thing because you you do cattle as well right well i've I've Okay. Uh, my grandpa, our family owns about 700 acres up here in the hills, and uh, he uh, he ran me out about 80 acres, and I decided to buy some mama cows. Started with 20 mama cows on this 80 acres, and uh, once we did that, we uh, we signed up for the equip program for the NRCS to uh, get our pasture rotation, uh, you know, start our pasture rotation, help help fixing the soil and everything because this, this farm that we're on it, it was just dog poor it was just you know soil was poor wouldn't grow anything it barely barely grow any grass in the summertime and uh so we went to the nrcs and had them had them help us out we've run i guess we've ran about probably close to a mile and a half five inch electric fence we put in about a half mile with water line because this place had no water on it at all when we got it and uh we uh, we started with the cattle, and then we started integrating the hogs in. 
luckily we were just getting into the hogs when we started the, the equip program so they were able to work with us and we made our electric fence kind of dual purpose it's four strand where it's tall enough to keep the cows and calves in and we also have two two lower wires to keep all the hogs in too so all right yeah that's great my goodness so what what made you decide in in 2019 to to get into hogs well i i raised up in high school i showed some hogs and i just loved it you know i, I love being around the hogs being around around a different kind of agriculture than what i grew up with uh, my grandpa had six broiler chicken houses and that kind of commercial farming is the way i grew up mm. and i never really was too big into that so the hogs was kind of a thing you know, it, it took me back to where I was in high school where I really liked growing the hogs. And, you know, I was also able to, to kind of fit that, that niche market of pasture-raised pork that was just very lacking in our area. Yeah, all right. So uh, are, you a, um, are you a farrow to finish? Or you do feeders? Or what's your, what's your setup right now with your pigs? Right now I'm kind of transitioning into doing a few, a small breeding herd on my place. Uh, for the most part, I am... Uh, wean to finish is the way I do it. Uh, a good friend of mine, Corey Davis, he lives about four miles from me, and he started raising some registered Berkshire hogs, and he needed a place to go with his uh, his kind of cold hogs, you know, nothing nothing good enough for, for breeding stock. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of where, where my, you know, the pigs come from. He, he does all my fair one as of now. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's convenient to be just down the road from you and to be able to have that source. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've been friends for close to 15 years now, and he uh, he just kind of had an itch to want to get into the hog business, and I told him I'd, I'd try to take as many as he wanted to let go of. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. So you, you'd mentioned a little bit about the about the land you're working right now. In that part of Arkansas, is that... Is that fairly flat? Did you have some infrastructure in place already, or did you kind of have to start from scratch there? We had near zero infrastructure in place. Uh, all the fences were put in in the 50s and 60s, and they were rotten. Uh, luckily, a couple of our neighbors had put in some new barbed wire fence and perimeter fencing on their place, which, you know, adjoined all our property. So we had we had good fence on probably about half of, our, half of this farm. I had to go in and put in barbed wire on most of the rest of it uh we have two 40 acre tracks we're a quarter mile wide and a half mile long mm. and uh it had about three quarters of a mile of new fence and we come in and put about three quarters of a mile of, of new fence in ourselves uh in hindsight i wish we would have went in with some electric then but when we put in our new fence and we wasn't really looking at uh any kind of rotational grazing or anything like that with the cattle or hogs so yeah. You know, we, we've had the fence go in with an offset electric wire. That way we could get power around our whole place. Yeah, yeah, good deal. Uh, but as far as as far as our terrain, we're right at the right at the foot of the Ozarks here. Uh, just 10 miles to the east of us is Arkansas Delta, right bean country out there. Uh, and uh, we're just right here in the hills. You know, we're, uh, I don't know what our elevation is, but as far as elevation change from one side of the property to the other, we're probably at about 100 feet of difference in elevation. Yeah, that's that's a decent amount over that, that course. That's about where we are here. Of course, we're not, uh, <laughs> I think ours, in some places, it, it happens in about, get a 100-foot elevation change in about 20 feet of distance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, we're not quite that bad. For the most part, we're, 
out because we're on top of the hill, but our uh, our family's ground is kind of underneath the hill, and they're they're probably 200 foot below us, just right here in a creek bottom. So, yeah, yeah, interesting. All right. So what um, what made you? Well, I kind of answered that question, I guess. But looking at the the, the Berkshire is is. Did you go with that breed simply because your uh, Corey was taking care of that for you down the road, or is that that just happened to line up well with what you wanted already? That it, it was pretty much because that's what Corey wanted to do. Uh, if I had my choice of hogs, it would probably be a, it'd be a Duroc, maybe crossed with a Berkshire or a Hampshire or something like that. But the Berkshire produces these, these Berkshire that he's he's raising is just you know after doing it for about six to eight months, I guess I've been raising these Berkshire hogs. And uh, I'm very impressed with the meat quality of, of the Berkshire. I'm 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 not sad of, sad at all that I didn't go with the Duroc. Yeah, yeah. You know, breed or anything like that. Yeah, it's, I actually started with a Hampshire Duroc mix, and and it was a good producer. They just really hard on my uh, on my ground. They they were definitely uh, rooters, so they definitely tore up a, a bunch of ground. Yeah, these these Berkshires out here, they're uh, they're pretty rough on the soil, but uh, uh, I mean that. I don't have a whole lot of option out here because it's uh, there are probably within a 50 mile radius there might be three or four people raising hogs and they're just really low quality yeah. barn barn slop fed hogs you know right right and uh, that's that's not really the 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 direction I was heading yeah so. Talking about your pasture rotation, I assume if you if you've got that four strand of high tensile that's electrified, are you using that for backbone fencing and then just using uh, polytwine or something else for your your individual paddocks as you move them, or how do you have that set up? Well, as far as the pigs rotating, uh, I just kind of move them into the hardwired paddocks. Uh, everything split up into anywhere from three to four acre paddocks. Uh, Right now, I kind of have a designated area for the hogs. I'll kind of rotate them between three or four different spots. When they start getting one one place beat beat a little too hard down, I'll I'll move them to this next area, and then so on and so forth. Uh, but as far as the, you know, I do use some poly wire for, for for rotating the cattle and such, but uh, not so much the hogs. Gotcha. All right. Do you uh, at any time do you integrate the the two together? Or do you always keep them separate on the farm? I so so far I've just kept them separate. Uh, Kind of the first paddock that I moved my hogs into is where I overwintered my cattle at winter before last. I guess it's been last winter, and uh, it was just knee-deep in, in uh, half-rotten hay, you know, composted composted hay and such. Yeah. And I was like, boy, I bet them hogs take care of that. And sure enough, they went in there, and that's just like a rototiller. <laughs> you know, them hogs getting in there rooting around. They, just, they were finding all the grubs and the worms and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And, uh, they just flattened out that old that hay the old hay piles and stuff and uh after witnessing that that's, that's kind of been my plan i'm right now we've just started feeding some hay to our cattle but i've kind of got it i'm kind of feeding them in an area that uh i'm able to run my hogs into afterwards this spring and uh you know kind, kind of take care of that and let let them help compost out that organic matter of the hay that's left over absolutely yeah i, I love that model and that's that's something you, Joel Salatin does, obviously, but he does under his barn. But that similar concept is wherever your cattle are overwintering, uh, have you know have whatever's left behind be taken care of by the pigs, and then of course you not only get that cleaned up, but you get some incredible compost in the process. Right, right, and 
you know, we, we have a bad problem with pigweeds down here. Uh, and especially where we overwinter the cattle, the, the pigweeds really seem to come up in the, in the late spring, early summer. And uh, I'm not sure why they call them pigweeds, but I'm kind of thinking it's because the pigs just love them. They'll come down and just mow down every little pigweed before they get big enough to, to put a seed head on. Yeah, wow. That's really beneficial. You know, we, we don't, we haven't sprayed any kind of a, uh, 2,4-D or such on our pastures in the last couple of years just because, or this last year anyway, because uh, uh, the hogs kind of actually kind of helped with the weed control as well. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, there's there's definitely some, some stuff they'll eat that cattle will leave behind for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, um, when it comes to um, to feeding your hogs, what what are you doing for feed ration, or, or have you settled on something particular, or are you are you kind of still testing that right now? I have kind of played around with it that first year. I've, I've really I've really come up with a really good ration that I've kind of formulated myself. At first, I was having a local feed meal mixed just ground corn and soybean meal, and we were adding some vitamins and mineral and salt and such to uh, help complete that ration. And uh, I started doing a little research on on mineral on different minerals and, and stuff like that and uh it, it it's been kind of hard to get a really good pasture pig pre-mix because for one uh pigs want to get a lot of its minerals and stuff out of the ground you know, yeah something they're not going to get in, in the barns on concrete and slat floors and such uh, so we don't con- we, we don't worry about so much the mineral it's just uh trying to get a good a good mix with the protein and energy content uh, because I'm not really set up just yet to, to run different group pigs like up until two weeks ago I had over 70 head of pigs and they went from 12 week weaning pigs all the way up to 300 pound butcher hogs and they were all on the same ration yeah. oh no kidding okay so you, you've got a large group that you're moving through all at once yeah we're, we're steadily in the last couple of weeks we've been working on uh, kind of doing these transition pins where you know we might rotate every four weeks on down the line until they get to just a, a main finish pin at about 180 pounds and let them finish out on the same same feed yeah. because uh, you know with uh, I feed about a 15 percent protein feed and soybean meal is the main the main uh, that's where we get our protein from is the soybean meal so we get all the amino acids such as they need to need to grow but you know 15 percent is really too high for them finishing hogs over 200 pounds they're, they're kind of bypassing a lot of their protein yeah and 15 percent is just a little bit low for them that's you know coming out of the weaning pen at, at 60 and 70 pounds yeah uh, so they're not you know they're, they're putting on too much fat cover too early and it's, and it's really they, they kind of struggle to you know get the meat put on their bones so to say uh, in a timely manner. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but as far as our feed, we're, we're right here in the middle of rice country. We have a couple of rice processing plants, and we actually get, uh, I'm working with a, another guy here in the area. He's uh, He goes down to Little Rock and gets, uh, it's pretty much minute rice. It's been uh, boiled and then dehydrated, but uh, they might have something go wrong in the plant where there might be a little washer or something go in a 10-ton batch, and they've got a throw the whole batch away so uh i've actually been grinding a lot of this boiled rice into my into my ration now that i've 
got my own feed grinder and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was a thing I was going to that had on my list there. I was looking on your Facebook page and and saw your 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 grinding mill there and how you're able to roll right up to your your drop feeders and feed them directly. That that really saves a ton of time, doesn't it? Absolutely. And and having my own grinder, I can have I can keep all my feed. You know, I'm I'm touching every aspect of my feed. I know exactly what's going in it at the feed mill. You know they might or might not do exactly what you want you know they they could overrun by 10 or 15 percent on corn and your protein could be low or they could put too much soybean meal in there and uh you know be way way high and such and uh you know since since uh we're just you know that's another quality control that, that we have our hand on as far as feet as feeding and uh and it's also going to help as we you know do these different pens where we're transitioning each four to five weeks where we can give each pen a different ration uh we can do that you know mix up a half a ton and, and take out their weekly to them that way they keep fresh feed and they're not you know we don't have to get a two-ton minimum from the feed mill to uh to put out there and let it go stale on them in in the month and a half that they might not eat it yeah yeah so so are you grinding that on demand or are you storing that somewhere else or do you just keep it in your grinder i'm, I'm just i'm Grinding on on demand, really. Uh, about every two weeks, I'll come in and uh, you know I'm feeding my cattle as well. I'm 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 fattening up some some cattle this winter for for custom quarters and hats and such that customers have bought. So uh, I kind of do enough feed to last me two weeks. I put them in these one ton bulk feeders out here in the pig pens, and then I have a three ton bulk feeder for my cattle. And uh, about every two weeks, I have to go in. So I I, I mix feed about every two weeks. Uh, we keep soybean meal on hand, we keep corn on hand, we keep rice on hand. So really, really it's just a matter of picking it up with the front end loader and weighing it out and uh, running it through there, and then we can have our feed, feed when, when we need it. Yeah, yeah, man, that's good. That's a good setup. It's nice having all those controls, like you said, they're, they're on hand. Yeah. So you said something there that, that sticks in my mind that um, that I wanted to ask you about. And you know, obviously we're the, the Pastured Pig podcast, but... Uh, we, we've talked to a lot of people, and, and there's a lot of discussion and the benefit of, of having that polyculture. The fact that when it comes to selling product, that you've got beef available, you got pork. How has that worked out for you? When you added pork to your beef operation, did that kind of uh, round out customers? Did you did you did you find that those two well, work well together, or do you have to do two completely separate marketing strategies with them? Well, actually, my pork operation come before the actual beef operation. Up until Probably the first of this year, uh, my cattle operation was just a, a cow-calf operation. I, I was selling the weaning, and uh, uh, and you know that, that's that's as far as I would raise them raise them up as far as the, the calves and stuff. And uh, first of this year, I started playing around with uh, keeping some of the some of the calves, and I fattened them up, and uh, and that beef just started flying off the shelf. Yeah, I couldn't keep it, uh, and. Uh, and, it, you know, it was a lot of my pork customers that I'd already built over the last year. You know, ever since this, you know, the start of this COVID pandemic uh, with that meat shortage that we had back in, what was that, March or April? Yeah. And uh, I have, I've had a couple neighbors here close to me that started doing the USDA-inspected beef as well. So I was kind of the first one to start doing that here, and then they trailed in behind me and their operations are much larger than mine is so i've kind of let that beef go on the back burner because no one else is doing the pork. Hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense to, to to obviously go where where the demand is there. Um, yeah, there's no doubt that this year has has made things different and interesting, and it's it's kind of tough to gauge exactly what uh, how it compares to years in the past or how it's going to compare to uh, uh, trends you see at the beginning. But but how have you been able to manage uh, COVID this year with uh, processor dates and and demand and all that stuff? Well, my, <clears throat> as far as the processing dates, I work with a really good processor. He's up in Van Buren. Uh, it's Keys Butcher Shop, if anyone's in the area that might be interested. But uh, he really takes care of, for the most part, his USDA customers. Uh, as they were starting to book up, with everyone started calling in. They went and bought a calf and wanted to fatten them up and stuff to, uh, to keep in their own freezer, you know, and... Uh, of course, you know how it is. It's, it's, it's nationwide. Processing dates are, are very, very slim. And uh, I, I was up there. I've, I try to keep dates scheduled about six months out. Before all this happened, I could probably call about two weeks ahead of time. Right. And if, if I had like a, a sow go down and, uh, you know, that we were going to call and needed to get rid of it fast, we could, we could call and schedule her in and uh, get her ground up in the sausage if we wanted to do that. But uh, I went up, I guess it was about April, I picked up my first, kind of my first load of the, of the year, because the farmer's market runs from April to October, and that seems to be about three quarters of my, of my market right there at the farmer's market. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, man, you need to you need to go ahead and schedule some, schedule some dates, because they're, they're filling up. And uh, so, so right then, I scheduled all the way up. This, uh, I guess I scheduled up until January 31st back in April. And I didn't even have pigs on the ground yet. Right, yeah. And, and we were already scheduling. I was like, crap, I, I don't think this is a very good idea. You know, there's a lot of variables that can happen in my eight or nine months. That's <laughs> exactly right, yeah. But, uh, I mean, so far it's worked out. And uh, anyway, as I was getting back to the processor, he, he, he kind of takes care of the USDA customers because he had already had several several dates booked when I had already planned on having some finished hogs that I hadn't booked yet, and he was able to, to kind of squeeze me in and and, uh, and get me in that way, you know. So processing dates, yeah, they're, they're kind of hard to get right now, but... You know, having a good relationship with your butcher really helps. Yeah, yeah, that does, and that's you know, that can't be stressed enough. When when you've got that two way street there, you got the trust on both sides, then that that helps you, uh, you know, eliminate some of those uh, crazy variables that we're encountering right now. You, know, you made a comment about scheduling out. I had to do the same thing. I had to book dates for for hogs that hadn't even farrowed yet, and it's like, okay, I have absolutely no idea how many are going to come in this litter. And of course, yeah, what's going to be viable and what's going to what's going to grow out is it's just you're just you're just throwing darts at the wall. <laughs> yeah, and and there's other USDA processors. I think there's two others in the area here. There's there's three in the state. Two of them's up in Northwest Arkansas. One of them's kind of closer to West Central Arkansas. And uh, I called them a few months ago just about trying to trying to schedule in some that I wasn't going to be able to schedule in with my main processor, and they're already scheduling into like spring of 2022 wow wow 
Yeah, and, uh, that's frustrating. Uh, he, he said that he's not going to book any further than six months out. So uh, I guess I guess he kind of sees where, where us farmers are, are the same way. He said that as soon as he starts booking for the next six months, he'll 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 call over all of his regular customers and, and kind of chat with them and see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I think, and we've discussed this with some on the podcast before, but I, I think there's going to come a point when this settles down and, and the demand is going to shift again. And I think there's going to be a lot of processing dates that are canceled. So uh, it's one of those things. How how heavy do these processors front load and, and anticipating uh, you know, this this wave ending? Or, or are they just trying to make as much hay as possible while the sun's shining? Right. Well, speaking of hay, that was one other thing I want to transition to. So looking at the income streams on your operation there, you'd, you'd said in your notes that you all have a, a summer hay operation. So how does that incorporate into what you're doing? It doesn't so much incorporate into what I'm doing other than it helps pay the bills in the summertime. <laughs> it's all about cash flow, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, because I still work full-time. I drive a, I drive an 18-wheeler big truck uh, about four days a week. Hmm. And, and that's my main income, and, and everything, you know, it's all about that side of And, uh, you know, in, in the summertime, I can I can kind of stockpile some of that cash that I make from from the from the hay business, and it kind of helps to uh, to prolong out through the winter, and, and, you know, it pays for my feed bill through the winter, really. Yeah, yeah. Now, is that something you're cutting off your 80 acres or other land? Oh, no. I, I, we don't. We do some hay for ourselves, but we don't sell any hay. This is just strictly custom hay. We'll uh, we'll pick up customers. You know, they might have forty or fifty acres that uh, that they need cut and bailed for their own cattle, but they don't have the equipment, so we'll go in and cut them, cut them, cut and bail for them. Oh, I see. Okay, you know, I understand. Yeah, so so you guys are a, a roving equipment operation that goes around to different to different sites to do. That's right. That's right. All right. You know, we we try to stay within about fifteen or twenty miles here from the farm. Just just for yeah. Now, do you do some of that just just for cash, or do you do do some where you trade for product for your own cattle? I I have done some trading. Uh, you know, there's there's one uh, small cattle producer. He he runs about forty head down here, and uh, and I've actually traded for a couple cow calf pairs, and uh, you know, put the mama cow out out in the pasture, and then it's time to wean that calf, and that, that's actually some some of the beef that I'm processing this winter for customers. So, it, you know, it, it kind of comes full circle. It all works out pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, Matt, as far as looking forward, what, what do you see? What's the, the growth plan? What's the five-year, if you could look down the window there, five years ahead, what would you like to see your operation be doing? Oh, gosh, in five years. I never was very good at that long-term planning. So. <laughs> right. uh, I, I just... Really, I'm lucky to get by two months at a time, but, you know, we'll, we'll start in the next year. Uh, I'm hoping to do about 20 hogs a month as kind of my short-term goal in the next year. And, uh, you know, if I can get 20 hogs finished and marketed out, uh, that's going to bring me in off the road where I can do this full-time. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, and once we start there, you know, sky's the limit. It's, it's, it's pork. Pork market really picks up for us out here. I you know I could pay a thousand, twelve hundred dollars a year. It's just you know it might be a few years out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, one thing I meant to ask you, and and, uh, and you, what you said there reminded me of that. So, what are you doing on on farm right now for 
for storage? Are, or do you have walk-in freezers? Or are you just turning your product that fast that you don't have to worry about holding on to it? <clears throat> right now, I'm, just, I'm, I'm kind of moving it so fast. But in the summertime, you know, spring, summer, early fall, I can move it to the farmer's market. This yeah. time of year, it's kind of stagnant as far as retail sales. Uh, and that's why I, I do I do more custom half and whole hogs for customers. Yeah. In, in the fall, winter, early spring. So I don't really have to, you know, I don't have that overhead. I, I don't have to keep it in, in freezers. And... I'm not set up with a walk-in freezer just yet. I'm, I'm working out a chest freezer. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, good deal. Good deal. Well, all right. Well, I, I, one question I have to ask you to ask everybody on the podcast, and that is, um, in your experience so far, what is the what is the m- most memorable or the most uh, uh, exciting? What do you enjoy the most about raising pigs on pasture? I don't know. That's kind of a hard question. I don't know how much of it I really enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. They, they, they can be stubborn. They're a pain in the butt most of the time. Right. You know, just really just seeing seeing my ground transform. You know, my soul, my farm. How, how they how, how I've been able to integrate these these hogs into my operation, and and everything just works works in unison. Uh, I like that, and uh, I really like seeing satisfied customers. That's probably the most enjoyable enjoyable part of what I do. Yeah. Uh, I'll have customers come up to me and say, you know, your product is so great. It is so hard to find good farm-raised pork around here. You know, we've got 70, 80-year-old people that says it takes them back to their childhood when they used to raise raise hogs, you know, on the farm. Because yeah. They can't find that product anymore. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, that, that's what really lights me up when I hear stuff like that. Good deal. Good deal. All right. Well, Matt, if people want to find out more about your setup, where can they find you online? We are only on Facebook as far as online, and that's uh, 3D Farms of Zedstonia. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we've been looking at getting into the website, you know, the online stuff. It's just uh, right now, it's, I'm not very technologically advanced. If I can't do it on my phone, it's kind of hard, hard to do right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, Facebook is our yeah yeah absolutely yeah and i'll share down in our uh, our show notes link to his facebook page you guys can check that out well matt i really appreciate you coming on talking with me it was uh, it was a pleasure hearing about your setup and uh, man i pray you have a good rest of the week and a happy thanksgiving All right, man. Take care. Well, I really appreciate Matt coming on the podcast and sharing his setup and his operation and his plans with us. Uh, we wish him nothing but the best. I pray that 2021 is uh, is a great year for him and he could expand the way he wants to. Uh, real quick, I, I want to do a shout out. This is kind of odd um, timing wise because I want to do a shout out for uh, a farm that we did an interview on, but we haven't aired it yet. It's actually not going to air until January. But a gentleman by the name of Patrick Milligan, who I interviewed, he's in New Mexico, and it has a really neat story. He actually, due to COVID, he he had to change um, gears almost immediately. Went from a a large DJ business to pastured pig operation, 
And it's a really great story to to hear how he shifted gears and adapted so fast. And and we end up getting into a lot of discussion about business and marketing associated with that. So it's a good conversation. But the reason why I'm kind of doing a teaser and a shout out about that is is I was very surprised. I went into my office, uh, my uh, my marketing office, just today, which is the first time in probably oh goodness three or four weeks. And my business partner he usually takes care of the the, the things since he he lives close by, and, and it's a forty five minute drive for me. So with COVID and all the things going on, I'm just not there that much. So I go in and I find a package. To my surprise, I find a package on my desk from Patrick Milligan. And open it up, and it was the coolest care package, get a taste of New Mexico type of thing. So had some of their farm products, their uh, goat's milk soap that they make, uh, had some salsa, had some seasoning, had uh, some you know, keychains and, and some magnets, all, all New Mexico flavored. It was very neat. And man, I, just, I was just very humbled and, and very excited to see that. It's just so cool. I love meeting people, even though I don't get to see them face to face, meeting people on the phone, in these interviews, talking to them. feel like I get to know each of you all a little bit better as we have our conversation. And it's just it's just neat. It's like I, these little, in my mind, I have this map of the United States where I'm just dropping these little pins of, of friends that I've met. And it, it's just so cool to, to get to know you guys, uh, hear about your setups, hear about the things you're working with, uh, but then just get to know you on a personal level. So, Patrick, thanks so much, man. I tip my hat to you. That was an awesome care package. We will be diving into that salsa and that stuff. Actually, as I'm recording this, it's it's less than 24 hours from New Year's Eve. So we will we will definitely be cracking that open here in the next 24 hours to enjoy. So I appreciate that. Um, goodness, if anybody else wants to send me a care package, by all means, uh, see if you can top New Mexico because he really set the bar pretty high. Well, along those same lines, I uh, would love to talk to more people. When we get into January, we're probably going to go back to a schedule of every other week just so I don't um, burn out and, and lose all my interviews. I want to try to, uh, to try to schedule that appropriately. So I've got, I think I've got four, four or five more in the bag, uh, but would love to have more. So if you want to be on the podcast, if you know somebody that should be on the podcast or a specific topic we need to address, by all means, go to redtoolhouse.com, use our contact form there, and just let me know what you would like to hear on upcoming episodes. Again, I'm just in awe. I'm humbled by the feedback that you all give. If, if you want to go to iTunes and or wherever you get this and give us a review, give us a thumbs up, that obviously helps. Uh, rating, actually, this. You don't do thumbs up there. If you want to do a rating, it, it helps other people find us, but um, we're such a unique niche that uh, I'm, not, I'm not expecting millions and millions of downloads, but I'm really excited with what we're seeing. Uh, we're getting ready to hit the 50,000 download mark, uh, which is exciting benchmark. So that's all. Thanks to you all. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate the feedback. And I pray you have a happy and prosperous and healthy and safe new year. Take care, everyone. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.